0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. This podcast is brought to you by Intrepid Travel, the global leaders in providing experience-rich small group trips. Intrepid was founded on the idea that travel, if done right, can be a force for positive change in the world. They believe that adventure and an open mind can break down barriers challenge stereotypes, and bring us all a little
1: closer together. We've all had seminal times in our lives. You know, the ones that kind of change the course of everything. Perhaps you took a risk, said yes to an adventure, took an unexpected phone call, or finally quit that job. Significant moments planned or otherwise change the course of our lives and teach us what it is to be human. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of That Time When, a podcast series about the lessons that we learn coming out of life-altering experiences, big or small. I'm Jane Nithiket from Dumbo Feather Magazine. And for our first episode, we're being transported into the world of Vipassana meditation, that's silent meditation, and what happened when Farai, a self-described corporate baby, said farewell to her phone, the internet, and all communication with others to focus on her breath. We're already struggling, and she did it for 10 days. Hi, my
0: name's Farai. I'm a management consultant. Uh, been wanting to have a silent retreat for about five years. So now I've been off work six months because I had to have a major operation um, in the middle of this year, which was one of the things that sort of led me to saying, hey, hang on. I actually need to stop and think about my life and what I'm doing. Uh, so I found a silent retreat, but I didn't know what Vipassana was. And I kind of went in cold. <laughs> and it's actually one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, and essentially what it is, it's 10 days of silence and, uh, they teach you a meditation technique, which is called Vipassana, which is a practice that comes from Buddha. So it's a ritual routine practice, uh, that's about 2,500 years old. And essentially it's teaching you how to observe what is and the reality of what is before you. The way that they do it is that they use your body as a framework for the learning so it's very much an experiential exercise. Um, there's, you know, evening discourses where they give you an intellectual, mental framework in which to deal with things and to understand what's happening to you and what's happening in your body. Uh, but essentially, what it's about is a, actually having the experience within your own body to understand that, you know, change is inevitable. Feelings, emotions are impermanent and basically using that framework to help us all live better lives. The Vipassana that I did was in Wuriyalok, which is in the Yarra Valley, and it's all completely funded and run by volunteers, which is incredible. I'm just amazed at what the Power of Volunteers can do because they've got these centers all over the world, right? In Europe, in Africa, in America, in Asia. And it's all completely powered by volunteers, which I think is a testament um, to how powerful um, this meditation technique is. Um, I think the other really important thing to note is that it's completely non-sectarian. So it's not religious. They're not trying to convert you to Buddhism. Um, it, It doesn't matter what religion you're from, what language you speak. They even have a multilingual facility. So the lady who was sitting to the right of me was from Iran. We had people there from the Netherlands, from Germany. We had Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, people who were completely atheists. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and it's just a huge melting pot. It was it was really, really beautiful. So, so you you turn up at the Vipassana and you hand over your mobile phone and hand over your credit cards or your books or your notepads or whatever it is. Uh, There's a separate area for men and a separate area for women. So for the entire 10 days that you're there, the genders are kept separate. Um, And then on that very first day, they give you an initial briefing um, and you take what's called the vow of noble silence. And what that is, is that basically you're agreeing that you will stay there for the 10 days. And during that time, you won't have a conversation or interact with anybody else which obviously means verbal communication, but even signaling, gestures, eye contact um, are not permitted. And for all intents and purposes, you're in this place alone by yourself, going through your own mental process. I ended up sharing a room um, with this women who i'd never met who i didn't know (laughs) and there's a a thin piece of plywood uh, between the two beds uh 10 days later she said you know you had this ticking clock it was super annoying but i couldn't tell you to please turn it off (laughs) i'd never meditated before i went on this retreat and um, I had a friend drop me off and he came around to pick me up. And just before he came, I thought maybe I should take some cushions. And I went to sit down on the floor just to practice the pose. And I was like, expletive, expletive. <laughs> I don't think this is going to work. And it was incredibly tough. Um, I had so so many pains in my thighs in particular and in my ankles because you put quite a lot of pressure on your ankles. Uh, turns out we got them, they had cushions. So it was... Fascinating just to watch the kinds of forts and constructions that people made for themselves. So, some people would sit on five cushions at a time, some people would try to create armrests and all this kind of thing. But it's incredible how quickly your body adjusts. Uh, by day seven, I was able to sit for you know two, three hours at a time without feeling that much pain. But I think also your mind adjusts, which is also a big part of the meditation uh, because I think you're actually able to tolerate a lot more discomfort. Um, what I had been worried about going in was that I would get bored, or I would have a mental breakdown, or I'd get into some kind of a panic. But it was just fascinating. I mean, I've just started a new relationship, <laughs> um, and I remember chatting with a girl before I went into the into the, the the noble silence, and she said, "Well, you better not waste all your time thinking about him." And it was incredible. The first three days, all I could think about was him. <laughs> So trying to get to a point where I'd actually get into my deeper issues was incredibly hard. Um, But also you start to realize how much your mind darts around. Um, You start the first three days with something that's called Annapurna meditation, (laughs) which can be incredibly frustrating. And it's basically observing your breath. So about... 36 hours of breathing onto your top lip and feeling the sensations on your lip and feeling the sensations in your nostrils and you don't quite know where this is going or why you're doing it but it has a way of sharpening your mind sharpening your thinking process increasing your ability to feel things within your body as well which is a large part of meditation Uh, you know so you're sitting there from the day of being able to like feel your breath and then you start to feel tingles all over your body or you feel pain and you kind of sit with that pain and i had a lot of lumps starting to fall particularly in my, in my in my neck area and in my chest area um so a happy memory for example would bring these tingles about i mean we, we we obviously as human beings have these feelings all the time every day but you you're not trained and you're not still enough to actually be able to feel these things um so the difficult memories the tougher memories would create lumps and pains within other parts of my body um and what they're trying to teach you in the vipassana meditation is not to get too addicted to either type of feeling right so the really positive feelings create cravings and if you start to create cravings for those feelings that just develop a need for them then that's one kind of addiction that's not going to serve you well in your life because you start chasing that high um and if you create an aversion towards the negative feelings or emotions that also is not healthy right because then you start to avoid things that you do need to deal with so the idea is for you to be able to feel to sit with both types of feelings and emotions um, and to be able to actually examine them and explore them and to remain equanimous is the word that they use right so to be neutral and it was super interesting right so particularly these feelings of aversion, which I'm particularly prone to. I I experience a lot of fear in my life. Like I've done some pretty awesome things, but a lot of the time I'm overcoming this fear and anxiety. So the closest that um, these feelings brought me to was that last year um, I went for uh, a holiday with my family um, down by the beach. And it was A day after New Year's and we had found this little spot on the beach where when the tide was out, there was this really, really deep water pool that you could climb up onto the cliff and you could jump off. Um, And I don't know, it was maybe like a five or six meter jump or something. And all these people were down. there, were all jumping into the water. So we all went and we were going to do this jump. So my sister goes up and she does the jump. My friend Sean goes up and he does the jump. There's five-year-olds doing the jump, 50-year-olds doing the jump, and it got to my turn to do the jump. And could I do the jump? No. (laughs) I was so freaked out. And I was standing on the edge for about 40 minutes, unable to jump. And I had this intense feeling, like this super overwhelmed feeling of just like incredible fear and anxiety, and I couldn't even think straight. But sitting there in the Vipassana, um, in particular when I was trying to control my thoughts and I'd been told not to control my thoughts and to just feel things, and I had all these conflicting instructions and that I had all these memories of my dad, I had exactly the same feeling in my head and in my heart and in my mind. And like I actually was in a physical cold sweat. So I was like, okay, what I've got to do is face into the feeling and just feel it. And it's incredible because once you just sit with it and you accept it, it starts to dissipate. And you're not scared of it anymore, and you actually get a lot stronger. It would be great if you could get this experience without having to sit there for 10 hours a day, but I don't think it's possible, right? That that's just the work. They give you this discourse every evening and on the third day they were talking about how this technique is going to help you get over the misery in your life and to deal with like really difficult situations. And for half an hour every evening you're actually able to go up and speak to the teacher. So in case you're having like serious issues or you have questions or there's something you're not understanding. Um, and there, there was a guy who had actually gone up and he was really struggling um he was having splitting headaches and I think just the physical pain but also maybe the emotional stuff that was coming up for him was really tough and he went up and he said look I'm not really coping um so they said to him why don't you spend the night and if tomorrow you don't feel like you want to be here or if it hasn't improved you can go home um and he actually left the next day anyway so I went up after he did which I felt really bad about because I was like you know someone's talking about having a really tough time and my comment was uh, actually my last really good at the moment <laughs> I don't know if I should be here. Maybe I should go home now. <laughs> and she said to me, but that's the point of meditation. You know, like there's highs and lows in life. And even this feeling of joy and happiness that you have right now, it won't last forever. It, it'll change because that's, that's what life is. And by day five, it had changed. <laughs> And I was in the depths of my misery, all of my daddy issues, my family issues, arguments and disagreements that I'd had with people 10 years ago, questions about myself, you know, my self-esteem, et cetera. So I went to really deep places and it wasn't always a happy process, but it was just incredible learning and so valuable. Um, So my dad died uh, when I was 20. My mom died when I was 19. Um, and I had a lot of unresolved issues, I think, and I had a lot of anger in my dad, towards my dad in particular. But just being able to sit down and start to think about him and to remember from the time I was like three or four, him teaching me to ride a bicycle, him you know, climbing up the mulberry tree with him and playing soccer and all these really beautiful, amazing, positive memories. And I'd realized, I hadn't realized how angry I was, but I also hadn't realized how much I loved him and what a big part of my life he was and just how much joy there was. So I was able to let a lot of that go. Um, But I just can't imagine where I could have sat 5,000 hours of therapy or whatever it is, where I would have actually had to do that work myself and to go there myself. Uh, So it was hugely valuable from that perspective. So, Noble silence is lifted on day nine um, so that you have a day to get used to talking and being in loud places again before you have to go out into the world, which is hugely valuable. Um, But those initial conversations that you have, it's it's, it's incredible, right? Because you're there with these 30 women. Um, for 10 days you can't look them in the face you can't have a conversation and all these things form and you, you form opinions about people and you develop characters because your mind doesn't really have anything else to do and then you actually start speaking to them and you look them in the eye and you sort of say oh wow is this what you look like because the eyes are, are the window to someone's soul and not being able to look in people's eyes um, is, is incredible and I'd formed particular opinions of people and then I started speaking to them and they were completely different But what was also clear is that people do have an aura that you're able to feel. I think if your mind is still, you're just around people, like that also starts to rub off. Um, And where I've come out is, first of all, I want to deprioritize the rat race um, and start to focus a little bit more on my own life. I've been a corporate baby ever since I graduated law school and a lot of that world is very technically driven and it's output driven and it's not about your feelings and nobody really cares about your feelings it's just about getting the job done Um, and I think a a large part of me had forgotten how to feel I have feelings now (laughs) so uh, one, one big piece is I want to be able to continue to to have those feelings and to understand them. It would be so great if organizations could send all their people on a 10 day that (laughs) pass. And actually just build the capability of people to deal with the emotional side of work. um, Because we are human beings. Um, And I think one of the things that Alain de Botton um, says, uh, I went to a talk that he did in Sydney. And he was talking about how, you know, in the industrial age or whatever it is, you know, We needed to build a building, we needed to create a factory, there was output you had to do and you could get them to do stuff and it didn't matter how they felt, but now we're living in a service economy where we're working with the brains and the emotions of people and their intelligence and they won't produce unless you also take care of the human side of things, so in order to make our workforce more effective and more productive, you really need to find a way to take care of both. And although traditionally that hasn't been the case, I think we're starting to get into a a new period of human existence and human evolution and development where we need to find a way to, to handle both. And I think Vipassana, meditation, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, is a really great way.
1: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of That Time When. And thanks so much to Farai for sharing her story with us. As you probably heard, Vipassana is seriously hard work and it can bring up pretty difficult emotions. So if you're considering doing it, please check out dhamma.org. That's D-H-A-M-M-A dot org, where you can find a code of discipline to see if it's right for you. It's really important to do it safely. If you want to hear the next episode in the That Time When series, simply subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. This episode was produced by Lizzie Martin.